going to take a look at... Thank you. Oh, yeah, I should probably take that back as well. Thank you very much. Honest guy. Didn't nick the microphone. We're going to take a look at um, Colossians. Um, in your Bibles, it's page 1,182. 1, and we're particularly going to look at that, that next phrase. And I love how these, these phrases follow on from each other. The reason um, that Paul um, was so thankful for the Colossians and the reason he was thanking God for them was this next part. So it's Colossians chapter 1. And the phrase we're just going to be looking at um, comes in verse 4. I'll read to you both verse 3 and 4. It says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. Paul spotted some Christians. Sometimes it's easy to spot Christians because they wear particularly frumpy clothes or they wear a cross around their neck or, you know, socks and sandals, you, could, you name it. There's different things that make you spot a Christian. Paul spotted a Christian because of their faith in Christ and their love for all God's people and it made him want to praise God. He saw how those things changed their lives. And it was a reason for him to celebrate and praise God. And maybe that's what we should do as well. Not only praise God for who we're thankful for, but when we spot somebody who has faith in Christ, who loves God's people, we should thank God for them particularly. These aspects of faith and love and come up in the Bible. They come up numerous times. In Galatians chapter 5, it says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Later in 1 Thessalonians, he says, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, hope, and love are common concepts, aren't they? They are for lots of people. Even people who aren't Christians treasure those concepts of faith, hope, and love. Almost as, as though there's something in them that makes us human if we have faith, hope, and love. But actually they're truly life-changing when they're pointed in the right direction. Because it's not just faith, but it's faith in Christ. And for Christianity, that's where it all starts. Faith in Christ. It's the essence of Christianity. The essence of Christianity is not a religion, but the simplicity of having faith in Christ. Organized religion itself can be great, as long as it doesn't get in the way of us having faith in Christ. We're going to sing a song later on, or we're going to hear a song later on, that talks about when the music fades. Maybe when the church activities are stripped away. When we ignore the building and we get back to the heart of worship, it's all about Jesus. But putting our faith in Christ goes against our pride, doesn't it? And because as people we want to be self-sufficient. We're built that way. Or certainly our culture teaches us to be that way. We're built to be self-sufficient, to be survivors. You look up to somebody who's a great achiever. Maybe you've got faith in your career plan, in your own inner strength. Maybe even just in faith in humanity. But even our greatest plans only take us to the end of this life, don't they? And then what? What happens afterwards? What happens when we meet our maker? 
I think we need faith in something greater than ourselves. We need belief, we need trust, we need faith in the man who is Jesus Christ, who demonstrated himself to be the Son of God. By his life, he demonstrated his immense power, didn't he? The love and compassion that he had for those who were forgotten in society, and those who were neglected, those who were outsiders. Actually, his love and compassion for everybody. And he showed incredible humility in his life to the point of his death when he was crucified by Roman authorities. Crucified like a thief on a cross. But it was in that moment that he achieved God's redemption plan. Paying the cost of our wickedness so he could redeem us, so he could buy us back from death and judgment. We've got faith in his death. We've got faith in his resurrection. That three days later, justice was satisfied. Death was beaten. And eternal life is possible. Now when you explain it like that, it sounds foolish, doesn't it, to some people. You've got faith in this guy, Jesus Christ, who is said to have risen and died and risen again. It's foolish faith. You believe in something that's unbelievable. I'll give you an example of real foolish faith. I went to Cambodia when I was 21 and with me and my friend and we were staying in a B&B and one of the guys working in the B&B had a 4x4 truck and we asked him to take us on a tour. He wasn't an official tour guide. He knew nothing of the local surroundings. Um, But we asked him to take us on a tour and on the tour we said, is there any waterfalls that you can jump into? Jump off the top of a waterfall so you could jump down from it. He said, I think there might be. So he was about 20, 21 himself. He'd almost driven us off the road trying to get there. And he drove us to this waterfall, took us to the top. He wasn't qualified. And he said, you can jump off that one. Our foolish faith believed him. My my mate jumped off first. He didn't hit anything. Lucky guy. I jumped off second and hit a rock in the bottom. Don't worry, I didn't break a leg. But it just dawned on me. I put faith in someone really daft. I had no reason to put my faith in this guy. He wasn't a tour guide. He didn't know anything about safety. He was just a 20-odd-year-old trying to look cool in front of me and this, my friend. And he said, yeah, he can jump off that thing. But I don't think our faith is foolish. Our faith isn't based on something as random as a guy telling him to jump off a waterfall. Because if God actually was to come in human form, to earth. The things he could do would be unbelievable, wouldn't they? They'd be supernatural. We might call them miracles. And actually, for the God of justice to wipe away, wipe my slate clean after the things that I've done, he'd need to punish someone in my place. You couldn't just, a fine, a slap on the wrist, that wouldn't be sufficient, would it? It wouldn't cover it. If the Son of God the actual Son of God was willing to die in my place. Is it unthinkable that he could rise again? In Genesis chapter 15, it says that Abraham believed the Lord and God credited it to him as righteousness. And we find later in Romans chapter 3, it says, For we maintain that a person is justified, they're made right by their faith, apart from the works of the law. Having faith in Jesus Christ, in his life, in his death, and his resurrection, is all that we're asked to do. 
Even small faith counts. Even faith the side of a mustard seed counts. But it takes a bit of humility on our part. There's a real humility in believing, isn't there? Have to accept that we're not self-sufficient. We're not survivors or achievers. I love how faith in Christ balances the scales between all of us. Despite our race, our gender, our age, our education, our wealth, our sinful, messy pasts, whatever we've done, we're all even before Christ. All of us need to do exactly the same thing. Just come and put our faith in Jesus Christ. There's a song that puts it really nicely. It says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to you for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Saviour, or I die. Something about faith in Christ that is life-changing. And it changes every day of our lives. Knowing that there is a God who has purpose as a plan, who is in control, that his presence, comfort and wisdom is with us each day. Today, no matter what comes at me, no matter what comes at you, even if death comes, we put our faith in Christ. And it's this faith in Christ that goes on to something else. This faith in Christ in this verse goes on to a love for all God's people, which is in some ways a natural and visible product of faith. This is more than an affection for all God's people. The same word has been used here as is used to describe Christ's love for us. Agape. A sacrificial love. And yet, Paul sees in these Christians a real sacrificial love for all God's people. You could describe that as maybe insular, selective. Why do you just love other Christians? There is not a more diverse group of people than God's church, God's people. People that because of interests, because of backgrounds, because of personalities, careers, wealth, political views, you might not normally talk to, you might not normally like. Here, in God's church, we love each other. It's comparatively easy in our own self-interest to love the people close to us to love our friends, our family, our partners. They're good to us, so we're good to them. But God's asking for something different. Actually, God's producing us something far greater than that. A love for all God's people. Check out the disciples for a second. You've got courageous Peter, who dares to walk on water. He's the guy who first figures out who Jesus is and says, you're the Son of God. He's the guy who cuts off somebody's ear. He's the guy who says, I'll be with you through everything. Courageous Peter and weak, doubting Thomas. Who says, I'm not sure. I need to see the risen Jesus before I can believe. Completely different personalities that are within the disciples. Same with, you've got Simon the Zealot. A guy who hated all things Rome. He wanted Israel to be independent again. He wanted to fight for that. He was a political activist. And then you've got Matthew, the tax collector, who sold out to Rome and fleeced his neighbours and friends. Completely different sets of people that came together as Jesus' disciples and had a love for each other. To the point that Jesus said this, your love for one another 
will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now this doesn't mean that we ignore other people, does it? The golden rule from Jesus is love your neighbour and that even includes our enemies. But there's to be a special bond with other Christians. God's family, we're God's family. We're brothers and sisters. And so we look after each other, don't we? With genuine love and care. If someone's struggling, we should rally round. And we do. We rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. So much so that hopefully others say, whoa, hang on. There's something amazing and unusual that's happening here. The faith that they say they have that's fairly intangible, hard to get our heads around, becomes tangible, visible in their lives, in their love for other people. It's our lives that are the evidence of our faith. Not faked, we can't do that. Not genetically modified. Organic fruits of the Spirit is a love for all God's people. We're going to come back to this passage in a few minutes, but I'd love us if we could stand and sing unfailing love. While we do, we're going to take the offering, a chance to give, a chance to um, give back to God for all his love to us. Great. Grab a seat, and I could do with another couple of volunteers to get the next treasure out of the box for us. The sweets in it for you. Who's up for it? Are you coming? Ah, oh, Josh too. Come on. Do you want to take that to somebody who could read it out for you? Who do you want to ask? <laughs> <laughs> the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. Ah, oh, thank you, Sam. Can I have those? And you can have a sweet. Do you want to grab something out of there? Thank you. Thank you, Josh. Thank you very much. That's the next part that we're looking at, Um, just comes in the next verse. This faith and love that we're already talking about, that spring from the hope that you have, from the hope stored in heaven. These three words, faith, hope, and love, are interrelated. The presence and growth of one spurs on the other one. Here, it says, our faith and love spring from the hope that we have. Hope that is stored in heaven, but there's a few conditions necessary for hope to thrive. And the first one is that we need to stop pretending that we're okay. Let me read to you a a story that um, comes from someone who, she was called Rebecca and she was chatting to somebody called Bob, who relayed his experience of first going into Alcoholics Anonymous. He says, I walked into the room, he said, and the first thing I sensed was that there wasn't a single person in the room who had not suffered. They had come face to face with their weakness, their inability to change without outside help. They had failed, yet there was this sense of tremendous hope. They believed that God really could help me, and they wanted to stand by me as I sought to stop drinking. They embraced me as I was, a drunk, but they were certain that I could be changed. I felt like I was in the fellowship of the wounded, but the wounded and healed. Rebecca says, I was so moved by his description that I burst out. But Bob, that is the best description of church that I've ever heard. He smiled and continued. Let me tell you about the times I went to church during my drinking days. The message was always very polite, but firm. Come back when you've got your act together. 
I pray that is not what we're like. I don't think that's what we're like. Actually, we're all broken people, aren't we? We're all weak. And actually, probably what we are is we're wounded but healed. And the only time that somebody maybe feels put off is if we create a subconscious atmosphere of pretending like everything's okay, of putting a smile on our faces, of pretending that we're surviving. For hope to grow, it needs to start with realizing that we're not okay by ourselves. Because even the concept of hope implies that the current situation isn't that great. But there is something better to look forward to. But still, hope is either at that point a delusion or a lifesaver. I think the second condition for hope to thrive is that hope, if it's in to be any use at all, must be in something real. I'm a firm believer in the placebo effect. In the idea of being able to take a pill that does actually nothing that the doctor gives you. But actually it makes you feel better um, because you've taken a pill and you think that'll help. I think that happens. I've noticed myself doing it. Um, I've seen it happen in other people. Is hope just a placebo effect? Is it just something to take the edge off? Something to make us feel better, but isn't really real? Is it just a pit stop for health? A bit like taking morphine. Something that takes the pain away, but doesn't really sort out the situation. If so, it's still useless. Is it just a mirage of a better tomorrow? Something that looks good. That gives us something to aim at. But when we get there, there's nothing really there. It was just a mirage. It's a bit like eating McDonald's for tea, isn't it? It's lovely at the time. You're hungry 20 minutes later. Faith can't be that. And for me, there's no adequate reason for hope if you don't have God. In Ephesians 2, it says, Remember that at the time that you were separate from God, from Christ, you were without hope and without God in the world. Therefore, hope begins seeing the Son of God being willing to die on a cross. At that point, we see that there's a God who cares about our suffering and is intervening at great cost to himself. We see that if that's true, he's doing something to restore and reconcile the relationship between humans and himself. And I've seen that, our hope begins to grow and hope finds its confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Something that happened that wasn't just a metaphor for Jesus' teachings or his spirit living on after he died. 500 people saw him alive. That's tons of people. It's proving that eternal life is possible. That Jesus broke the chains of death. I realize naturally for humans that's impossible to do, to come back to life. Even for superheroes, it's pretty improbable that they can come back from the dead. But it's something that's accomplished by the divine Son of God. So anyone that can go, come back from the dead is the Son of God himself. And we find hope in that. Jesus said to somebody who was upset because their brother had died, 
of the brother Lazarus. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asked her, do you believe this? If we believe in Jesus Christ, we will live even though we die. And Jesus asks us to believe that. And the reason that we can, the reason that we can have hope is because Jesus is alive. You see, if Jesus was dead, if we could go and visit his tomb, like we could visit the tomb of Muhammad or Abram, then our hope would be futile. Hope would be worthless. And I wouldn't bother. I wouldn't be a Christian if Jesus was still dead. But Jesus rising from the dead changes everything. Death is no longer the end. Instead, Jesus is alive and now preparing a place in heaven for anyone who believes in him. That's a hope that changes your life, isn't it? A hope that can be stored in heaven that despite whatever life throws at us here, won't change, won't fade, won't perish, won't disappear. In 1 Peter, it says, God in his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Later in Ephesians, early, sorry, in Ephesians, Ephesians 1, it says, I pray, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance to his holy people. That's what we need, isn't it? That's what we need initially. Our hearts are initially blind to it. It sounds foolish to believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to this world. Sounds daft to love other people in the church, even though we don't get on, wouldn't naturally get on with them. To have a diverse community in which we look out for each other and love each other. It sounds foolish to have a hope in heaven. But when God, through His Holy Spirit, enlightens our hearts and shows us this hope, then it changes everything, it changes our life. If you're searching for purpose, searching for meaning, if your life's going in circles or just not where you thought it would go, if you've realized your own weakness and ready to ask for help, we need to discover Christ, don't we? We need to have faith in Christ. That will produce in us a love for God's people. And all of that comes from having a hope in heaven. Because the Son of God, though he died, rose again. That is the message we believe. It's the message that we believe and that's believed around the world. And as we come towards communion, I'm just going to watch um, a short video. Um, a short video that maybe helps you think about where you're coming from today. In your own, in your own weakness, I don't, don't know what your life's like, um, but perhaps in your own weakness, but coming to find strength in Jesus Christ. So let's watch this video and then Julie will lead us into communion. I hope you enjoy that song. It's our favourite song in the Johnson household at the minute. And isn't it wonderful that every day as we lose the battle, Grace says it doesn't matter because the cross has already won the war. I think that's fantastic.
We've got one more treasure in our treasure box. I wonder if somebody would like to come and open that for us. Do you want to come, Isaac? Yeah, Grace, do you want to come as well? Yeah. Do you want to to open it up and see what the final one is? That one there. Lovely. Do you want to take a seat as well? And pick up a seat. And uh, Isaac, could you take that microphone and find an adult to read that out for you, please? (laughs) The Anderson family's working hard today. (laughs) In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Thank you very much. Isaac, would you like to bring that back and stick it on here for me, please? Thank you. Champion, did you get your seat? Yeah, brilliant, well done. Stick that on there. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. In the New Living Translation, it says, It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your life from the day you first heard it. You know, that could have been written yesterday. I know so many people in our lives that this has changed their lives. We know so many people from all over the world where Jesus' good news is changing lives. Bono, uh, the lead singer of the band U2, in a a very fantastic uh, interview recently where he very openly talked about his faith, he said, this is Bono speaking, he said this, Jesus was crucified because he said he was the Son of God. That is why Jesus was put to death. And Bonner goes on. So, he's either, in my view, he was the Son of God, or he was nuts. And I mean proper delirium. Bonner goes on to say, I find it hard to accept that all the millions and millions of lives, half the earth for 2,000 years, have been touched and have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I don't believe it. When you put it like that, it's, it's so simple, but it's so profound, isn't it? God is changing lives. He has done for 2,000 years, and he's still changing lives today. There's a church we've heard of recently in America where 2,000 people were baptized. That's incredible. We've had loads of people baptized here recently because God is continuing to change lives and change them for the better. We're going to go into a time of communion now. But before we do that, I'd like um, to read to you an extract from a book that our son Isaac's reading at the minute. And I didn't know if the children would like to come to the front. I've got the beanbags here, and uh, you can grab another sweetie treasure from our treasure box as well. So if the kids would like to come forward, and you can uh, grab a beanbag. This is a book that I read when I was little, called Children of the Voice. And it profoundly affected me when I was a child. And I'm really enjoying reading it with Isaac again now. Do you want that one there, Sam? Fantastic. It's a bit like, um, you know, how the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and Pilgrim's Progress. It's a, a story with a meaning. And uh, this book's a similar one. It's kind of aimed at older children, but, uh, but I hope um, all of you can see where we're going with this. So this is a book about a boy called Little Trouble. And Little Trouble has left Old Church and he's in pursuit of the voice, God. But on the way, he encounters enemy superpowers. But all the time, he's trying to discover who the voice is, and he's trying to hear from the voice. And he comes across another little kid called Heart Hunter, and Heart Hunter works for the voice, and this is what happens. Heart Hunter asks Little Trouble this question. Do you think that you've ever done anything or thought anything which you would consider the voice wouldn't be happy about? 
little trouble thought about this for a moment and then he said, that's a hard question. Do you have an easier one? It goes on and Heart Hunter takes little trouble to a cinema and he shows him a film. The lights went out and as little trouble settled into the chair, the first frame came on, what the little kid did, and it began running through the projector. Wasn't I a cute little baby, he chuckled, as the tiny little kid appeared on the screen. He assumed it must have been him as he was in the arms of his very much younger mother and father. Then he saw himself again as he grew older and his smile disappeared. For the first time, he started to see himself as he really was and it was worse than a horror movie. He saw how when he was still very young, he started to lose his temper. He saw himself being greedy and selfish, lying, cheating, criticising, bragging, hating, and destroying things and people around him. While this was going on, flashbacks kept appearing of his parents praying for him. Within a very short time, Little Trouble had rammed his finger on the stop button. He was weeping on a heap on the floor. That was me in the film. I remember those things as if it was yesterday. I don't want to see any more. I'm evil, he cried. I've got nothing in me. I deserve to die. Heart Hunter said, Yes, you're right, you do. But just sit back in the chair one more time. I've got something else to show you. Little Trouble agreed, as long as Heart Hunter stayed by his side. This film is about the voice. You will see the pictures of his life, but you'll not hear a sound because the voice is going to speak directly to your heart. The film ran and Little Trouble thought all the wonderful things that the voice had done. How the voice became a human being. How he healed those who were ill, loved those who nobody else loved, and enjoyed spending time with kids. The film was action-packed with the love portrayed by the voice that he'd never encountered before. Throughout the film, he noticed that the voice had enemies, but even though they wanted to kill him, there was no way they could. After all, he was the voice. He was the good guy, right? It was then that the screen grew darker, and he saw the voice being beaten up. Then he saw some adults hammering big, long metal spikes into his hands and feet, and nailing him to a wooden-shaped cross thing. Little Trouble jumped up out of his chair. Fight back, voice! He screamed with tears welling up in his eyes. Kill them before they kill you! But as he stopped shouting, Little Trouble heard a voice whisper something about forgiving them. Then massive red letters came across the screen. It is finished. The lights on the projector came on. Little Trouble sat. Those adults who killed him must have been working for the enemy superpower. If only I could get my hands on them. Hold on a minute, interrupted Heart Hunter. Just a short while ago, you discovered that your life is being run by enemy superpowers, the same as those adults. We have all done things that have hurt the voice. But just as you heard the voice forgive his murderers, so he will forgive you also. But what must I do to be forgiven? asked Little Trouble. Try watching the next film, replied Heart Hunter. The lights went off and the projector started again. As Little Trouble watched the final reel, he couldn't contain his assignment, he couldn't contain himself. He started cheering and shouting and dancing. The voice isn't dead after all, he hooted. He came back to life. Wow! Wait, said Heart Hunter. Read those words written on the screen. This is the best news of all. Little Trouble read the words. If you are really sorry for the way you've hurt the voice, and if you believe what you've seen, you will be forgiven. This includes you. 
The children are going to grab a sweet from their, the treasure box now. But as they go back to their seats and grab this, we're going to have some words come up on the screen from Romans. Let's just take a minute to reflect upon that. Let's pray. Lord, we know we don't deserve you. And we are so sorry when we upset you by what we've thought, by what we've said, things that we've done and good that we haven't done, whether that's been through our ignorance, through our weakness, or through our own deliberate fault. Lord, we are truly sorry. Forgive us all that took past. And we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you sent Jesus to die in our place, taking our punishment. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that we can be a new creation in you. Give us your heart that we may live and love like you. Amen. Those helping with serving communion would like to come forward, please. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread gave thanks to God for it, and then he broke it into pieces, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took a cup of wine after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. So if you know and love the Lord Jesus, come and remember his sacrifice and receive his grace with a thankful heart. Come not because you must, but because you may. Come not because you're righteous, but because you sincerely love Christ. Come not because you wish to receive the benefits that Christ may bring, but that you wish to be his disciple. Come not to express an opinion or to make a statement, but to be closer to our risen Saviour. Come for Christ himself wishes to meet with you here. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we've been able to meet with you here this afternoon. We thank you for your grace and for your peace. We thank you that you change lives. May we go out now in your power and live and love like you and serve you. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Thank you for being with us. Good afternoon and God bless.